If you are new to, to Daybreak Community Church, I want to say welcome. Uh, today we're finishing up the series. I should say happy Father's Day to, to you that are, are fathers, whether you're a uh, biological father or you've stepped in to be a father to uh, some, some kids in your life. Uh, you are deeply appreciated. And uh, the kingdom of God is all built on God the Father. And so we get the great image of who God the Father is by sometimes seeing uh, fathers here on earth function uh, the way that God created them to be. So we're finishing up our series on being different. We've talked about that narrow road and the wide, the wide road and how lots of the world is walking down that wide road and God calls us to be on the narrow road. The wide road leads to destruction. The narrow road is the way that, that God's called us to be. Normal for us is living in a world that's very selfish and very self-centered. I want to talk today about overcoming our selfish attitudes and becoming different. Remember we we said at the start it could be weird, but that uh, it's hard for us to understand. Different in generosity. So I I came across an article this week. Uh, The interesting title of this article was Science Shows Us That We're Selfish. Now... I don't need science to tell me we're selfish. If you went to the mall at Christmas time, you can quickly be reminded that you're selfish. If you have a two-year-old or you can remember one of your kids being two years old, you never had selfish lessons with them. You never went, okay, here's how to be selfish. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take away your toy And as I take away your toy, I want you to scream at the top of your lungs that that toy is yours. None of us had to train our kids to do that. By nature, we we look around and we see that people are naturally selfish. Now, according to this article, and, and men, you need to hear this, the bad news is mostly for men. Men are generally more selfish than women, there's a study that, that shows that the male neurons, that our reward system is actually stimuli, stimulated by self-centeredness. That's great, women. See, you're in, the, you're in the clear. Women, on the other hand, are likely to get more of a rush when they do good for someone else. Why is this? Well, the article went on to say that, that people argue that men are wired to survive. I need to go into my cave. I need to go out. I need to kill something. I need it to drag it back so that we can survive. We're stimulated by that. You know that. Women, on the other hand, are nurturers. They get excited about having everybody else survive. So typically, women are more generous. Men... Here we go. This article taught us some great things. How many men enjoy working out? Don't raise your hand. You try to stay in good shape. If you're in good shape, the news gets worse for you. The article actually says this, that bigger muscles lead to a smaller heart. So guys, we can just eat whatever we want if we want to be generous. On average, muscular guys are less generous than guys who drive by the gym straight to the pizza restaurant. 
The article also went on to say this. What's your favorite seat on the airplane? How many of you, and we'll do audience participation, how many of you would go, the window seat is my preference? Okay, throw up your hands. Okay, how many of you say the aisle? How many of you say the middle seat? Okay, good. (laughs) You're listening. Why am I covering this, guys, this morning? Well, it, this is a help for all my single friends who are women. Single ladies don't marry a man who always goes to the gym and prefers the window seat. They are the least generous person. Now, women, there is one area that you trip up in, the article said. When it comes to chocolate, every woman is for herself. Studies are clear that if a woman is with her best friend and has a choice between a bigger piece of chocolate cake and a smaller piece of chocolate cake, she's going to ditch her buddy every time she's taking the bigger piece of cake. (laughs) Our culture is all about self-centeredness. What does culture tell us? Gratify yourself. Indulge yourself. Get whatever you can. Get what is yours. It's all about you. Jesus said this, though. If you want to be my disciple, don't indulge yourself. Start denying yourself. If you want to follow me, it's not about you getting more of what you want. It starts with you denying yourself. Take up your cross and then follow me. Rather than being selfish in all that we do, I believe that God calls us into this different generosity. And and a key verse for us today is found in Proverbs. Proverbs 21 verse 26 is going to be behind me. It says this, All day, man or woman, he craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. The righteous just continue to give. Even though in our culture today, it's natural to be selfish, to crave and want more. There's another person who's different. He's a follower of Jesus. This person gives and doesn't hold back. We like to say it in our churches at at Daybreak and Renfrew that we need to lead the way with irrational generosity because we believe that it's more beneficial to give than to receive. When we give, we want to give as God gave. We want to give without holding back. For those of you who are saying, shoot, I can't believe I came this week. I should have stayed home. (laughs) I want to show you three different mindsets about generosity. Here's the very first one. The bag mindset, okay? So it'll be on the screen behind me, the bag mindset. The, The person with the bag mindset believes there's never enough. And honestly, this is how many of us grew up. With a real poverty mindset, a scarcity mindset. We all remember COVID. What happened in COVID? That scarcity mindset raised up. I don't know if I have enough toilet paper. So I'm going to stockpile it. And we're still using it three years later. In fact, we're going to look at Haggai. You probably haven't been in Haggai very often, but Haggai chapter 1 verse 6. But let me give you a few bits of context before we jump into that verse. 
God's people during this time were not putting God first. They were taking care of themselves or at least trying to. They weren't rebuilding the temple of God. They didn't put God first and because of it, this is what Haggai verse one, chapter 1 verse 6 said, You have planted much, but harvested very little. You guys eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put clothes on, but you're not warm. You earn a salary, you earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. See, most of us in Canada live this way. We don't put God first and we all believe that there's never enough. When it comes in, it goes out. And we feel like our, our bag has holes in it. I'd love to give more, Matt. I'd love to be generous, but there's just not enough in my bag. I'd love to make a difference. I wish I didn't always have to worry about money, but there's just not enough in my bag. What's interesting about the bag mindset, Judas, the guy who betrayed Jesus, carried a bag. Judas was the money keeper, and he was all about what was in the bag. In fact, there's a very powerful story. We're not going to look at it today, but let me just talk to you about it in Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 14, about a woman who is likely a prostitute that had been changed by Jesus. She experienced the presence of Jesus, the blessings, the goodness of Jesus. This crazy woman took a jar of perfume with perfume in it valued at a year's worth of wages. And she gave and she worshiped Jesus. She gave and didn't hold back. She broke open the entire jar of perfume. She poured it on the top of Jesus as a different act of worship because of who he was and what he had done for her. She gave and didn't hold back. Judas, the guy with the bag, speaks up and says, what are you thinking? You could have sold that perfume and taken the money and given it to the poor. See, the problem is that Judas was distorted in his own understanding and love of money because not only was he guarding the disciples' money bag, he was also taking it for himself. He had a problem. He said, you could sell this, and then just shortly after that, the guy who gets mad about how this is given so freely ends up betraying Jesus, selling him for 30 pieces of silver. Why did Judas do that? Because he wanted to put a little more money in his bag. It's the bag mindset. Some of you grew up this way. Money doesn't grow on trees is what you'd say as a family. We're going to have to go without. The rich get rich. The poor get poor. We're always going to struggle. I wish we could do more, but there's just not enough in my bag. That's the bag mindset. Well, here's a different mindset when it comes to generosity. The basket mindset. The basket mindset. So in the bag, there's never enough. But in the basket, there's actually enough. Let me show you the blessings of the basket. Okay, Deuteronomy 28. It's going to be behind me. Verse 2 through 5. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. 
You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. The crops of your land, the young of your livestock, the calves of your herd, of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Look at verse 5. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. Well, there will always be enough in the basket. Let's take it to Luke chapter 6, verse 38, where Jesus says this, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I want you to notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, keep, and it will be given to you. He didn't say, hoard, and it will be given to you. He says, give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be poured out on your lap. Why did Jesus say, give, and it will be given to you? Jesus understood that you can keep what you have, or you can give it. He knew that when you keep what you have, that's all you have. But when you give, God can multiply what you give. What you keep is all you have, but what you give, God always multiplies. Give and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. You may say, what is this imagery about the good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over? The crowd that was listening to Jesus at that time would, would have a great contextual understanding because they knew that a rich landowner would often be very generous to those who are poor. The rich landowner would say to his workers at the end of the week, leave some grain at the edge of the field. And that way, those who were struggling and those who were, who were hungry could come and take this as a gift. As God blesses us with so much, we want to be a blessing to others. So I want you to think for a second. Think about what kind of basket you would carry if you were a minimum wage worker working for this landowner and your job is to carry the grain from the field all the way over to the barn, how full do you think you'd make your basket as you're lugging it back and forth every day? I can't speak for you, but I'm probably going to fill mine comfortably full. Maybe three quarters of the way full. Maybe 80% of the way full. I don't want to spill any, and I don't want it to be too heavy. I'm not in a rush. I'm getting paid by the hour, so I'm just going to carry this over comfortably to the barn. But on the other hand, if my family is hungry, and I'm receiving a generous gift from a wealthy landowner, and I carry my basket to the edge of the field, and I know that this is what I'm going to be able to feed my family this week, how full do you think I would fill my basket? I will fill it, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, because I'm receiving the gift from this generous landowner. See, when you give, God gives to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, because what you keep is all you have, but what you give, God always multiplies. Maybe some of you are struggling with the imagery. Let me just make it really simple for you. Some of you love Slurpees or slushes. You know, sometimes there's that place that you go and the Slurpee kind of fills and you feel like it's full of air. So you shake it down. You hit it on the counter so it can drop. Then you grab one of those little 
plastic tops. And then you go back and you fill it so it's just right to the top. You maybe have it spill over. Maybe it's like a volcano, but you put a straw in it, maybe you stir it a little bit more to get even more in there. See, when you give, God gives back to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It is the bag where God gives you enough. Let me tell you a couple stories from Scripture that are pretty meaningful to me. The Old Testament, 1 Kings 17, if you want to look that story up, there's a widow who had a young son. This poor widow, all she had left was a little bit of olive oil and a little bit of flour in her basket. And she said, I'm going to make a basket. Uh, I'm going to make a, a loaf of bread, sorry, and then my son and I are going to eat, and then we're going to die. We have nothing else left to eat. We're going to starve to death. Elijah the prophet comes and says, could you give me some bread? It smells really good. She said, I would love to do this, but I can't because all I have is just a little bit of flour in my basket. And after we make this loaf of bread, we're going to die. The prophet in 1 Kings 17 challenges her. Would you just trust God? Just give to the man of God and let's see what happens. This woman who almost had nothing made the most courageous, faithful decision to honor God by giving to the prophet Elijah first when she had nothing. If you read the story, and I'd encourage you this afternoon to read the story, what is so powerful is that from that moment on, God always multiplied what was in her basket. And she always had enough flour in the basket. In the New Testament, we know this story. Jesus was teaching one day about 5,000 men, probably about 5,000 children, and maybe 5,000 women or, or so. At the end of the day, the disciples said, everyone's hungry. We have no food. A little boy came up carrying a lunch basket. He had five loaves and two fish in it. The little boy did not keep what was in his basket. He gave what was in his basket. And when he gave what was in his basket, God multiplied it and fed everyone there. At the end of the meal, there were 12 basketfuls left over. Why 12? This is matology. Don't put it in your notes. I do know for sure. I do not know for sure, sorry. But I think perhaps it was so that God could give each one to the 12 disciples. What a reminder, taking home a basket of food to remind them that God is always enough. See, there's the bag mindset. There's never enough. I wish I could give more. I simply can't. There's the basket mindset. God's provision. When we give, God multiplies it and we have enough. Some of you might have grown up with a scarcity mindset and are trying to retrain your mind and build your faith that we always serve in an abundant God. And then here's the third, okay? The bag, the basket, the barn. When you recognize in God's kingdom, there is way more than enough. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says this, Honor the Lord your God with all your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. See, when we honor God and we put him first with what he trusts us, our barns will be filled to overflowing. 
What does our God want? I hope you'll understand this. God always wants to be first in your life. That's the gist of this whole series. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. We'll seek him first. So what does this look like in Matt's life? At the beginning of the year, I seek God purposely in prayer and often fasting. The beginning of each day, I put God first by seeking him in his word and talking to him in prayer. The beginning of the week, we find ourselves seeking God first in worship. The beginning of any increase in my life, I always want it to be about worshiping God. In the Old Testament, these fancy words were called first fruits, or as we talk about in the church, a tithe. The tithe comes from a Hebrew word called maser. It literally means one-tenth. Whatever God gives to us in an act of worship and obedience to him, we always return one-tenth back to God. That simply is our reminder to say, God, you're our provider. You're first in every single way. I acknowledge that everything I have comes from you and I worship you by giving back to you what already belongs to you. I bring you my first fruits. The first of what you give to me, I bring back to you. Let's unpack this a little bit because it's a confusing topic. If you can pay careful attention, maybe for the next three minutes, it's going to take some concentration, but let me do my best. Exodus chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. It'll be behind me. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether it's human or animal. In other words, if you're living in this time and your sheep gives birth to a lamb, you give God the first lamb. You don't wait until you have 10 and then choose the ugliest one. You give God the very first one. In that same chapter, verse 13, God says, redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you don't redeem it, break its neck. Okay, see, that's why you had to pay attention. What in the world does this mean? There's suddenly two different types of animals. There are animals in the Old Testament that are clean and animals that are unclean. A lamb was considered a clean animal. A donkey was an unclean animal. What you do is if you have an unclean donkey that is born, you redeem it. You purchase the right for that donkey to live with the life of a clean lamb. If you don't purchase the life of a donkey, you break the neck of the donkey because you didn't purchase his life. Okay, so what does this even mean? When you were born, you were born clean or unclean. You know this. You were born unclean. We were born as sinners. We inherited a sin nature. That's why we don't have to learn how to sin. We're unclean. We're sinful by nature. We were born already ready to sin. Now, who is Jesus to God? Jesus was his firstborn. Jesus is the Son of God. What is he called? He's called the Lamb of God. Was Jesus clean or unclean? Jesus was clean. Jesus never ever sinned. He didn't inherit the sin nature from an earthly sinful father, but instead inherited the spiritual divine nature from his heavenly father. 
Jesus was clean in every way. How did God give? God gave and didn't hold back. He gave his firstborn, his one and only son. He gave the clean lamb of God who was without spot or blemish. Why did God do this? God gave Jesus to redeem us from our sins. When did God give? God gave first because we, before we ever confessed our sins, before we ever said we needed him. Scripture says this, while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. God gave first, and what God gave multiplied the life for one, the life of one for the life of many, the clean one for the lives of us who are unclean. And this is the reason that God says, I'm not asking you to do something that I already haven't done. I did this first. Now you worship me because of what I've given to you. You put me first in every area of your life. I'm not just talking financially, friends, this morning. This is one of the easiest places. It's one of the most consistent places. And it takes so much faith. When you give, you don't just give 10%. You give the first tenth, the very first. It takes faith to give the first. It doesn't take faith to give the last. It takes so much faith. And I understand that this can be mind-blowing. It can be revolutionary. How can it ever be? It takes incredible faith. And perhaps that's why God, maybe God knew that it was going to be like that for us. It's the only time in Scripture that God gives us permission to give him a test. God said this in Malachi chapter 3, if you don't believe me, test me. Try me out. Put it to the test. Try, worship me with a tithe and see if I'll not throw open the windows of heaven and give you barn-type blessings. So many blessings, not just increases in finances, but joy, spiritual contentment, and peace. Put me first. How did God give? God gave and he didn't hold back for so much of my life. I was holding back because I had the bag mindset. There's just not enough in the bag. In my car, you'll see some gift cards. These gift cards are when we get into a a traffic light and the light turns red and there's somebody who is coming with a sign that I want to look at and say, how did you get here? What's your problem? How can we fix this? What God has challenged me in the last few years is, without question, give. I want to challenge you with that. See, generosity is what we want to be known for as a church here at Daybreak. You can see that my heart started with the bag mindset. It's growing into the basket mindset. And hopefully in the next few years, I want to actually live in the barn mindset. What God brings to me, I want it to go to others. I want to honor the Lord with our wealth. What God gives us, we honor him with it. And with our first fruits, we always put God first. Then our barns will be overflowing. And it's not so that we can build a bigger barn. It's so that we can be a bigger blessing to people all over the world. Remember where we started, Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10? Honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of your crops. Your barns will be overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. The different way. 
Selfish always crave and crave and crave. We always want more. There's never enough. But the righteous, the righteous, the Jesus followers, give and do not hold back in the same way because of what God did for us when he gave us his son. The firstborn lamb of God, he didn't hold back. Let me end with this, Proverbs twenty-one twenty-six. All day long, he craves for more. But the righteous, the different, give without sparing. Let me pray. God, if I said anything that wasn't of you, take it from my friends' minds. If you used me in a small way to encourage my friends, make it about the Holy Spirit that prompts, guides, and leads. Lord, may we be a generous people. May you refine in us that it's not about the bag. It's not about the basket. It's about the barn. And as we wander through that in life, may we be great givers because we've received so much from you. We love you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.